sixth session working our way through the book of Job and as we begin today I'd like to ask you a question and that is where do you go for advice who do you turn to for wise counsel to help you through spiritual issues your friends your family maybe your pastor psychiatrist well these might be some of your answers but are these really the people who have the solution to your situation well, in today's session, we're going to explore this issue as we come to Job chapter 4 and the first discourse of one of Job's three friends. Uh, as we begin, though, as always, we want to open it up with a word of prayer. So if you would, please bow your heart with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit into the world to dwell within us. We know, Father, that you sent your spirit. You sent him to be our counsel. You sent him to be our guide. You sent him to take the things of Christ and make them real to us. And we pray, Father, that he would show unto us the things that you would have us to know as we learn and study your word now. And we pray all these things and offer this time up into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we come to the fourth chapter of the book of Job today, let's once again take an inventory of the scene. There are Job's three friends sitting there, and they've been sitting there now for seven days. And they've been wagging their heads. They've been, you know, looking at Job with that little smugness, that little look in their eyes that says, well, 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 it finally caught up to you, eh, Job? So Job could take everything else, but he could just not take this from his friends. So Job breaks out into this monologue of complaint. And it's really just whining, although he uses tremendous language. But it's dark pessimism. It does not have the answer at all. And now his friends are going to begin to talk to him. And the first one will be Eliphaz. He will speak to Job, and then Job will answer him. And then Bildad will be the second one, and then Job will answer him. And then Zophar will speak, and Job will answer him. Now, I want us to just get a little picture of these men. Eliphaz, as we mentioned, will speak first. And he speaks gently and profoundly. But his speech is completely ignorant. He knew nothing about the scene in heaven which produced Job's suffering. But to me, it's also very interesting to note the meanings of these three men's names. Eliphaz means God is strength, or God is fine gold. And he will give three speeches here, and we'll get a background of this man and, and what's on his mind. And then Bildad, his name means son of contention. And he's a mean one. He is brutal and blunt and crude. And his method is just very terse. And his name actually means son of contention. And then Zophar, his name means sparrow. And that means he chirps like a little bird. 
And he's got a mean tongue also. He will make some terrible insinuations about Job. And we're now in this section that I like to call Everybody's Got an Opinion. It started back in chapter 3, and it will last all the way through chapter 37. And this is round one, and as we'll see, this is a real contest. These friends of Job have gathered, and actually, they're going to make an attack upon him, and he's going to respond. This is what you might call intellectual athletics. Today, people go to a football game, or a basketball game, or soccer, or ice hockey game, or some kind of a UFC fight, some athletic event where the physical is shown. I enjoy that, I'll admit. Here in North Carolina, I enjoy going out to see the Durham Bulls play baseball. I rather enjoy that. Now, way back in these early days, people gathered for intellectual contests. And by the time these men really started getting into it, apparently a great crowd had gathered around and begun listening to what was taking place. And as we will see, a young man in the crowd by the name of Elihu will step out, and he will be the last speaker. And now I want you to listen to this, because this man, Job, has just broken out with a complaint. It's a sad thing that's happened to him, and he is in the deepest, darkest pessimism that a man can be in. The devil has stripped him of everything. He has nothing to lean on. He has no place to turn. Even God, it seems, is far removed from him. Now, Eliphaz will be the first one to answer Job's complaint, and that will open up this context of uh, intellectual boxing with the brains. And all of these men will go three rounds. This is round one. Now, this man, Eliphaz, is actually the voice of experience. He's a remarkable man, and as we're going to see, he has had a remarkable experience. And the key to what Eliphaz has to say here is found in verse 8. He says, according to what I have seen. And everything he has to say revolves around that. He is the voice of experience. And Eliphaz, as we're going to find out, has had some remarkable dreams and visions. And he had heard secrets that nobody else ever has. Now listen to him here. Verse 1, chapter 4 of Job. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered, If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? Now he starts out in a rather diplomatic sort of way. You get the feeling that he maybe has his tongue in his cheek. This is sort of a false politeness here. But nevertheless, he begins that way. He says to Job, Do you mind if I say something? And he says, But who can withhold from speaking? Regardless of whether you mind me saying it, I'm going to say it. And he does. He says now, verse 3, Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. He says to Job here, Look, Job, in the old days... When you were in prosperity and plenty and in good health, you were a tower of strength to everybody else. You could advise, you could, uh, advise them, you could speak to them, and you could tell them what to do. 
you knew how to help those who were in trouble. But now, this thing has happened to you, and you've folded up. You're just a paper doll. You weren't actually real at all. And the advice that you gave to others, can't you follow that yourself? Now, I would say today that that's the problem of a great many of us. Isn't it interesting? We can always tell another person how he should do it and what he should do when trouble comes. The psychiatrist and the psychologist is very good at that sort of thing. And I know some of them, actually. I have some in my family and friends. And they may think that I'm picking on their profession. And I mean, I guess I am. But I know several of them who I think they should see a psychiatrist. I heard about two psychologists that met one day, and one of them looks at the other one and says, You're fine. How am I? And may I say that's how many of us are, always analyzing the other people, always telling the other man what to do. And Job was an expert, at least according to Eliphaz he was, at that sort of thing. And in a very sarcastic manner, Eliphaz tells Job, well, now trouble's come to you. And what happened? You folded up. Now, will you notice here, verse 6, he says, Is not your fear of God, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Isn't your own advice good enough for you? It helped others. It should help you. And as we see, this is rather unfortunate advice. Because remember, these men were sitting there for seven days. And by opening their mouths, Job's friends, well, they suddenly don't appear as wise as they had for a whole week. And there's a brief lesson for all of us in that. If you don't want people to think that you're unwise, then just open your mouth and remove all doubt, you know? Anyway, moving on now. Here is Eliphaz's little insinuation. And he's a little more gentle with it. These other two friends are going to be a little rougher. They're much more blunt and crude with Job. But listen to this man Eliphaz now. Verse 7. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed? Now, will you listen to that? That's not quite accurate there, my friend. That's this fellow Eliphaz making a little insinuation to Job. He says, evidently there's a kink in your armor. You have an Achilles heel. This wouldn't be happening to you if there weren't something radically wrong in your life that you've been keeping a secret. That's exactly what Eliphaz is saying at this particular time. It's a little insinuation, and it's not true of Job. And it's not true as a general principle either, by the way. We see it throughout Scripture. Paul was in prison. Did he do something wrong? And here, we already know from the background, God gave us the cause of Job's suffering at the beginning. We were shown that scene in heaven so that we would understand Job as we go through the book. And Eliphaz was wrong. And as I've already said, the reason that these men were miserable comforters is, first of all, they did not understand God, and they did not understand Job, and they did not understand themselves, actually. And that is the reason today that so many who are attempting to deal with spiritual matters, well, they're not actually qualified to deal with spiritual matters at all. Or if it's a physical matter, if you have a need physically, 
then it can be worked out between the soul and God. We don't really need to go to a third person. After all, we today have an intercessor with God. Job cried out for an intercessor. And today, we're told that we have that. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, Paul says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He is the one that a great many Christians need to go to instead of going to a minister or to a psychologist. And if it's physical, well, then go to the doctor, but go to God also. And just as Eliphaz was speaking from experience, I can say this from experience, it works, my friend. God does hear and answer prayer. He answers prayer relative to your physical condition and relative to your spiritual condition. And it's wonderful to see the way that God will deal with Job before he's through with him. But these friends, they're not going to be much help to him. Now, listen to Eliphaz here as he speaks from a very high pulpit. He's looking down at Job when he says this, verse 8, According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. That's a dirty little thing to say. He says, all right, Job, come on out with it. There's evidently something going on in your life that you haven't told us about, so let's hear it. And he goes on, verse 9, By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they come to an end. Even with God's own children, he never destroys them. He never does that. He disciplines them, but he never will destroy his own children. This man was just plain wrong about that, you see? And you can be so wrong in giving advice. I think that there are too many today who are dear Abbeys. They want to tell you how you ought to do it. And they can tell you in a very nice way. They can say it nicely and phrase it with very nice language. But it may not be accurate. Now will you notice verse 10. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey and the whelps of the lioness are scattered. Now what this man is saying here is this. The old lions are no longer able to stalk their prey. And those who sow evil are going to reap an evil harvest. And they're going to perish like the young lions that have broken teeth. Or like the old lions who can no longer stock their prey. Now, he's saying, Job, you're in the hands of one whose justice is unquestionable. And he's going to move to tell how this was impressed upon him. But I do want to take a moment to just note I don't want you to get the impression that everything these friends of Job say is untrue. They do say certain things that are true. This statement here is something that is accurate. But it's not applicable to Job's situation. It's irrelevant. And how many times do we do that in our own lives? Do you give somebody advice that doesn't really apply? Maybe you don't know what to say and you just kind of give them some general principle that you know to be true, but is not necessarily really that relevant to their situation? Well, that's not helpful. But this man Eliphaz, he is now going to say, this thing was impressed upon me 
because I had a vision. I had a dream. And believe me, here is a man with a dream. And let's listen to him because I tell you, this will make your hair stand on end when you find out about this dream. This is very mysterious and my friend, it's going to make your hair stand on end. Verse 12. Now, a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it. Oh, now draw closer here. Cup your ear, because we don't want to miss a thing about what's about to happen here now. Listen to Eliphaz, verse 13. Amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men. My, I tell you, this is blood chilling. This took place at night, when it was dark, and he's had a vision. He says, verse 14, Dread came upon me, and trembling, and made all my bones shake. Oh, tell me more, Eliphaz. You're scaring me to death. You're frightening me. What happened? Oh, he's not through. Verse 15, Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. Oh, this was frightening, wasn't it? Now notice verse 16. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. And then I heard a voice. Oh, tell me more. This must be something that nobody's ever heard before. This is something that nobody's ever known before because this man has had a vision. He has seen things. He's had a dream. It was dark and the spirit passed before him. Will you listen to him? What was it? Verse 17. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Oh. Yeah. Um. I don't know about you, but I'm a little disappointed. I thought that if you're going to have the experience that this man had, that he really would have come up with something profound that none of us had ever heard before. This is nothing new. And again, this is an example of something that is true, but is not relevant to Job's situation. And quite frankly, I feel like Eliphaz exerted himself a little too much to come up with something so small. I mean, talk about a mountain bringing forth a mouse, that's it? You think Eliphaz, who has been building this up, you think he's going to give birth to a great idea, a great statement of divine truth, of hidden mystery, and he comes up with this? It's not very worthwhile. Shall mortal man be more just than God? Well, of course not. What's so profound about that? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Of course not. Anybody knows that. We didn't have to have a dream or a nightmarish vision that caused us to lose sleep to come up with something so evident and so obvious. There's nothing profound about that. But this is the voice of experience. And may I say, there's a lot of voices of experience today in the church and in the world. And Eliphaz is just not helpful to Job at all. And now he goes on in this manner. He says here, verse 18, He puts no trust even in his servants, and against his angels he charges error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, in, is, is in the dust who are crushed 
before the moth. He says, well, even his angels act rather foolishly. How much more these that dwell in houses of clay. Now, this is actually a profound statement coming from the very beginning, that these bodies that we live in are houses of clay. There's not a better description of them than that. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul calls these bodies that we dwell in just a tent, a frail, feeble tent that the wind will blow over and we'll have to move out of it. And Eliphaz says, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. See, it's like termites get in, and before long, our houses fall in on us. Verse 20, between morning and evening, they are broken in pieces, unobserved, they perish forever. Is not their tent cord plucked up with them? They die, yet without wisdom. Now, again, I don't want to give the impression that nothing that Eliphaz or these other men say is profound or wonderful. They do give many wonderful truths, but they're not relevant. They're not helpful to Job at all, and that's the important thing. It's so easy to give out truth that is not pertinent, that does not get down where the rubber meets the road. That is the place in our lives that we need to have truth, my friend. We need to have the cookies on the bottom shelf where we can reach them. And not just any truth, but truth that meets the need. And these men are going to say many wonderful things. I enjoy reading this, and I I sincerely hope that you do too. But it does not get down to meet the needs of Job. You sometimes feel like stopping them and just saying, stop, just stop. Okay, don't go any further because you're going the wrong way. Thanks for starting out, but you're headed down the wrong road. You're driving pretty fast down a dead-end street with what you're saying here. But he's going to say some very wonderful things and we'll listen to them. Now, as we come to chapter 5, I'll just go straight into this. He says, verse 1, Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? Now that's still a good question. Which one of the saints can you turn to to help you? I'm afraid that they're still unable to help you today. Apparently the patriarchs had not become a nation at this point. Probably Abraham and Isaac had gone at this point and Jacob was still living, but Abraham's not able to help you. And Isaac can't help you either. Nobody who lived in the past is able to help you. Which saint are you going to turn to? Or it says, holy ones. And this could mean not only the angels, or not only the saints, but angels as well. Which of the angels can help you? They can't help you either. To which of the holy ones will you turn? Verse 2. For anger slays the foolish man, and jealousy kills the simple. I have seen the foolish taking root. And he says, I've seen the foolish. I've seen the wicked prosper. But finally they're brought down. And that is true, by the way. You find that in the Psalms. David was troubled by this very same thing. He said in Psalm 37, verse 35, I have seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Why, the wicked were prosperous. 
while the godly were not. And David wondered about that. But then he says he watched and he found out that finally God brought the wicked down. It took God a long time to get rid of Hitler. It doesn't seem like very long today, but he held power for over a dozen years, my friend. And if we lived in that day, we would have thought, man, this is a long time. And Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, how long did the Cambodians suffer during the Khmer Rouge? Fact of the matter is that communism is still around. Evil is still prevalent in the world. Why doesn't God move? Well, he doesn't have to move at our pace. He moves slowly. And he'll bring evil down, just give him time. God has eternity in front of him. And we don't have very much, very much time in our lives. That's why we get so impatient sometimes. But Eliphaz continues on now. He says, verse 4, His sons are far from safety. They are even oppressed in the gate, and there is no deliverer. In other words, he classifies this man Job as being a foolish man, actually. And he says, verse 5, His harvest... His harvest the hungry devour, and take it to a place of thorns. And the schemer is eager for their wealth, for affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spout from the ground. Now that is a great truth. It just doesn't happen to be pertinent for Job. It's like a lady who wants to make an apple pie, and somebody gives her a recipe for meatloaf. Now, it's nice to have a recipe for meatloaf, but that won't help you make an apple pie. And she really wanted an apple pie. You see, what this man Eliphaz is saying is good. It's true. But it's a recipe for meatloaf. It's not what Job's looking for. What Job really needs is a recipe for apple pie. Now, Eliphaz goes on here in verse 7. For man is born for trouble... As sparks fly upward. Now, you don't have to test that under a microscope to know that it's true. Man is born unto trouble. I don't think that that's even debatable. The human family has adversity, calamity, sorrow, distress, anxiety, worry, and disturbance. And all you have to do is look at the news today, and you'll find a partial report of the human family. The news will tell you all about the day's tragedies and fires and accidents and wars and epidemics of disease and murders and thefts and rumors of wars. Very little good news. It all has to do with the trouble that this human, that this human family has seen. All people have trouble. Not all are the same race or have the same eye color or hair color, not all are the same size or the same sex, not all have the same IQ. And someone says, but the scripture says they're all one blood, and yes, that's true, but we're not all the same blood type. But none are exempt or immune or able to get an inoculation from trouble. Tears are a universal language. Not all shed blood, but all shed tears. 
That's the human symphony today, the suffering of mankind. In fact, the Hebrew word for man is enosh. Most places in the Torah where the word man is used, the Hebrew word translated there is enosh. And enosh means miserable. That's man. We're told that there's nothing sure but death and taxes. Well, we can add one more to those and make it a trio. Trouble. That's sure. And sparks fly upward according to a physical law, the law of thermodynamics. It isn't by chance or by luck. What actually happens is the updraft caused by heat on a cool night with a fire outside. The sparks start moving upward away from the heat to where it's cool. They move like that because of the laws of thermodynamics. Now trouble, suffering, and sin are all basically the result of a disobedience to God. And there's no peace, as my God, to the wicked. And today man has tried and is trying to build a utopia while still in sin. And it won't work. You can't have a millennium without the Prince of Peace. And there will be no peace without him. They're trying to make peace without him, and therefore, trouble comes to mankind today. And the righteous do suffer. The children of God have trouble. They're not immune. Sometimes trouble comes to a child of God because of some stupid blunder on our own part. Sometimes trouble is a chastisement or a, a judgment of the father upon the child, a discipline. We're told that if we would judge ourselves, that we would not be judged. But if we don't, well, he'll judge us. Sometimes, trouble is a form of discipline from the Father. We're told in Scripture that for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. That's in Hebrews 12.6. And that's the thing that Moses chose. Moses, who was living the life of royalty in Egypt, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the, plassing, the passing pleasures of sin. It was a discipline for that man, Moses. And God would never have used him as a deliverer if he hadn't had 40 years of training down in the desert of Midian. And then Saul of Tarsus, proud young Pharisee, and he says, I will show him how great things he must suffer. And may I say, God put him through the mill. Trouble is a discipline from the Father. And then sometimes it teaches us to be patient and to trust God. And then sometimes trouble comes because God is simply putting the sandpaper down on us to smooth out the rough edges. And Job will come to that in this book. He'll say in chapter 23, but he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He saw that God was putting the sandpaper down on him to smooth him out. And then sometimes God permits trouble to come to us to get our minds and our hearts fastened on him. And that is an explanation, I think, for many of us today. So there is a reason, my friend, for trouble coming to a child of God. And therefore, Eliphaz is quite accurate here when he says, For man is born for trouble, 
as sparks fly upward. And we're going to leave it off there for this time. We will be uh, journeying through chapter, through the rest of chapter 5 and about halfway through chapter 6 next time. Uh, I would encourage you before that next session to review uh, chapter 4 and get a preview through the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6 as well so that you can uh, look back at what we've covered today and get a preview for what we'll be looking at next time and as always so that you can come to your own conclusions and we will lord willing cover the rest of chapter 5 and about half of chapter 6 next time so until then may god richly bless you my beloved see you later